Attention, everyone. Hello, and welcome to our sixth Kaiju Cast commentary. This time out, we are tackling one of the films that was just released here in the United States on Blu-ray, Godzilla vs. Gigan. Before we get started, however, I wanted to make sure that I got this first bit of information out of the way. While the score is credited to Akira Ifukube, he actually didn't write anything new for Godzilla vs. Gigan. So every song in the soundtrack is culled from another source. So while we're watching this, I'm going to attempt to point out what the music was originally from while it's happening. So now that we have that out of the way, uh, the details, we're watching the brand new Blu-ray disc put out by Kraken releasing, but this commentary should also work for Sony's DVD that came out in 2004. For the Sony DVD, we would have the film queued up and paused just after the TriStar logo completely fades out. For the Blu-ray, though, we're right at the beginning, so we're going to hit play essentially, which would sort of be start feature. And that is exactly what you'll want to do. Before we actually get started, let me introduce myself. I'm Kyle Yount, host of the Kaiju Cast. We have my co-host, Mr. Jeff Dean here. Hello, everyone. And my often co-hosts, who are pretty much deputized now, Brian and Rachel Cook are also here. Hello. Hi there. And we are uh, going to get started. So when you hear Geigen scream... That is when you want to hit play on your player. We're going to do that right now. So Toho released Godzilla vs. Gigan on March 12th, 1972. The actual title of the film is Chikyu Kogeki Mirei Gojira Tai Gigan which means Earth Attack Mission, Godzilla versus Gigan. Now, of course, what we're hearing in this particular uh, this particular scene is we're hearing three different tracks mixed together. There's the big boss, which is from a totally different movie, Godzilla versus the Thing's destruction of the Hamikaze Hotel, and then... I believe this part is from Birth of the Japanese Islands. Yes. And is. in the, the Japanese version of this, when you hear that little wee sound, that's actually the Japanese credits happening. <laughs> like, so mm-hmm. it's like a little laser comes up and then pops up. Yeah, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do that whole thing throughout the entire movie <laughs> for <laughs> doing all the different musical cues. Uh, anyway, this movie was released, like I said, uh, in 72 in Japan. In America, it was released by a company called Cinema Shares, and the title of the film was uh, was retitled to Godzilla on Monster Island, and it didn't come out until August of 1977. Uh, interesting footnote, I guess I would say that the um, the movie also came out the same year as Godzilla vs. the Cosmic Monster, which we know as Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla here in America. I remember seeing the poster this film at like the local mall theater back in 1977 really yeah interesting i didn't get to see the movie but i just remember seeing the poster for it that's that's uh too bad you didn't get to see the movie because this is one of those movies that when i 
put the film festival together, a lot of people that I asked were like, oh, you should get Godzilla on Monster Island. And I think at that time in my Godzilla fandom, I was like, what are you, what movie is that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I had yeah. no idea. Because there's no kind of clue in the in the American title. Anyway, we're starting here in the actual film. We've got a whole bunch of comic book art happening and people yelling. And um, that's a that's a theme that's going through this movie is this sort of manga art. We've just been introduced to Gengo Kotaka, the uh, main character who's played by a new face to the Godzilla series, Hiroshi Ishikawa. In my opinion, Ishikawa brings an odd sort of slapsticky comedy uh, to this film. But the voice actor from Hong Kong that dubbed him into English really clashes with Gengo's mannerisms and makes the performance less funny. Ishikawa is only credited in being in four films, but one of which is a live-action adaptation of one of Japan's first superheroes ever, Ogon Bato, which is the Golden Bat. And if you want to see something really weird, look up the Golden Bat. Gingo's girlfriend here is played by Yuriko Hushimi. We're going to be talking about Miss Hishimi a little bit later in more depth. But I love their relationship because you can, uh, while the dub says, you know, has some harsh language in it, <laughs> you, uh, you, if you're watching the Japanese version, you actually get a, more of a sense that they're just like sort of a, a couple, a, a playful couple. Mm -hmm. They like to like, you know, have little playful digs at each other. Yeah, I think this, I mean, their relationship feels very real. It's very natural, which I think is, you know, that comes, ac it comes across. They have good chemistry together, the two actors. Definitely. Yeah. And here's the line that gets cut. You're a hard bitch. Uh, gets cut out of the cinema shares version because they were going for that G rating. And then it's restored in the dub that New World put on home video. Oh, really? Yes. Yeah, that's cool. All right, so the track you're hearing right now is called A Lifetime of Business Savvy, The Toughest Guy Around. <laughs> um, this is something that I've always loved. It, as silly as this may look, I actually have that sense of disbelief, uh, not disbelief, that's not what it's called, the suspension of disbelief that makes this entire thing look like it could really be a real, real location to me. Especially with that crazy building. See, I want this poster right there. Yeah, I would love that. <laughs> it was just fantastic. So we've just been introduced to our second, uh, not second, but a third character in the film, Kubota, who is the head of Children's Land. He is played by Toshiaki Nishika Nishizawa, excuse me. Uh, and he started his acting career in 1965. He is an actor, a voice actor, a playwright, a theater director, and he has a number of credits to his name, including a bunch of the Space Sheriff Gavan episodes and films. Uh, throughout the decades, he continued performing until his battle with cancer took his life in April of 2013. I like the uh, going with the... In addition to the tone from the uh, previous scene with the, with him and his girlfriend, the whole like children's land kind of has like a lighthearted tone, which was what uh, Tomiyuki Tanaka wanted to get back to after being so disappointed by Godzilla versus Hedra. <laughs> yeah, I love the children's land idea, and uh, I think we're going to talk a little bit about some of the elements in this film that were proposed for other versions of this film before this happened. 
uh, a little bit later in the commentary. Now, how do you guys feel about his, uh, about Gengo's two creatures, his kaiju that he's made up? I love them. Mamagon and Shukra. I, I've always loved them. When I was a little kid and I saw this movie, I uh, thought that was so funny and cool. Yeah. I would welcome a Mamagon and a Shukra <laughs> action figures <laughs> yes. into my uh, into my house here. That'd be fantastic. My collection. They, it's never yeah. going to be complete until I get those. <laughs> that's something... Have... Yeah, sorry. No, no, go ahead. But yeah, that's something that I always remember about this film when I watched it again um, recently that's something that's always stands out when it before putting it in is I, oh my gosh that has those great drawings of those <laughs> characters and that, yeah that that just really stands out this is our first stock footage here obviously this is from uh destroy all monsters destroy all monsters actually and, and son, son of, of godzilla. godzilla as well <laughs> and the there music cue as well uh the music cue was from <laughs> destroy all monsters I love it. Yeah, I would have that. I mean, it's a little creepy <laughs> oh, yeah. looking, but it's still kind of cool. As a big fan of the creature from the Black Lagoon, gotta love those little fins on the <laughs> side of her head. <laughs> <laughs> nice. What is up with the interiors in the 70s, man? I, it's, I, it's not that I hate them. It's just they don't make any sense to me. Yeah, I like the production design in this Oh, movie. yeah. I yeah. think it's like, you know, it's just nostalgic. I think mm -hmm. All the 70s films have this wonderfully funky... Yeah, definitely the interior design on these films is funky, especially this one and the only real set you get from Godzilla vs. Megalon, the next film in the series with uh, yeah, with their house. It's very much like this, kind of the inventor's lab house thing, yeah. And I love how he has his manga artwork up all over the the house, too. Mm -hmm. Pretty sure that's like a bullmark stegosaurus. I'm just kidding. <laughs> that's not true. I'm not, I'm not, I'm just making that up. Cheeky pig. <laughs> Man. When I saw all these um, these great characters and was thinking about the film, um, I wondered what other crazy characters have there been in comic books and just, you know, in movies or whatnot. And so I decided to look up a few. And so I've got some great ones to share with you guys. Do it. We have Squirrel Girl. <laughs> I know who that is. <laughs> You've heard of her. Yes, I have heard Do of Squirrel Girl. Do you know what Girl. her power is? I can't remember it, but I've heard of it. It's kind of an obvious one. It's gathering nuts. No, she controls squirrels. Ah. The power to control squirrels. <laughs> what What does that gain you in life? So, well, I don't know. I I haven't read the comic, but I'm intrigued now. Um, another great one is Color Kid. He has the power to change the color of anything. Nice, nice. Which against other superheroes and villains, you can imagine, could be helpful. But it is a bizarre one. Um, arm fall off boy. <laughs> that sounds made. That's, <laughs> I, I think know. I know it what does he does. Sound made up. <laughs> but it's a real one. He has the ability to to detach his own arm and use it as a blunt weapon. <laughs> all right then yeah <laughs> how many more of these you have i have two more all right let's go okay matter eater lad he has the ability to eat through any substance all right all right and this one's great dog welder the dog. ability 
to weld stray dogs to villains' faces. Wow. All real. That's awesome. That's great. Real, real characters. Uh, so this scene here, this this little slapsticky comedy bit, this is the one, I don't know, not just the one, but one of the small little hits in this film that makes me say, like, yes, this was targeted at children. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah a lot of people, you know, they complain about the 70s films because they're so kitty-friendly and so childlike. But in my opinion, you know, you've got, if you start the 70s, which you technically don't, but if you started at 69 with Godzilla's Revenge, you know, you've got a kid in Godzilla's Revenge, you've got a kid in 71's film, Godzilla vs. the Smog Monster, you don't have a kid in this one, and then you do have another one in Godzilla vs. Megalon, but this film, in my opinion, it's not really playing to children, it's, I think it's aiming more for that wider audience, that kind of, you know... Ghidra the three-headed monster uh script writing style where you're you've got things in the script you've got elements that appeal to children and you've got plot devices that appeal to adults yeah I mean I think this is they were going for a family film where everybody in the family could go and enjoy it so we are introduced to Fumio Sudo the chairman of children's land he's played by Zan Fujita and his first film was one of Toho's top-grossing films uh, in 1971 and the last of their old-school war movies. It's called A Turning Point of Showa History, The Battle of Okinawa. And um, I kind of exhausted my research techniques trying to find anything at all about Zan Fujita, but uh, apparently he's got seven credits, film credits to his name. I couldn't even really find a bio, so clearly... Godzilla vs. Gigan is his most prominent film outside of Japan. I really wanted to find out how old he was in this film. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I think he doesn't look like he's 16 to me, but you know. Yeah. He's got that lovely orange frock, though. Yes. Yeah, it's very science patrol of him. <laughs> uh, so there <laughs> were a couple of cues that I didn't call out. Uh, the last music you heard, if you were paying attention to the music, was actually from Frankenstein Conquers the World. It was the main title to that movie. The enemies of peace are always bad. <laughs> unless they're good. Uh, this is also uh, from the big boss, the music that you hear in this particular scene and uh because i missed her earlier we're going to talk about this girl here her name is machiko shima in the film and she's the one that slammed into our protagonist earlier she's played by tomoko umeda and she was a uh newcomer she was given the newcomer award by the japanese filmmaking association in 1970 and started at toho as part of their new face program in the 70s uh she only has about three films to her credits but Tomoko acted in a number of television and stage productions. <laughs> now, should we talk about the corn cob hippie now? I think so. I think so. <laughs> you know, he's affectionately known as the corn cob hippie. Mm-hmm. By pretty much everyone. Everybody. <laughs> Everybody. That, of course. Because nobody knows his actual character name, right? You guys don't know that off the top of your head before you did I your really research. I have no idea. <laughs> it's Shosaku Tagasuki. 
Tagasugi. Anyway, he's played by a character, or by, sorry, that's the character. He's played by an actor named Minoru Takashima. And I, you know, I couldn't really find that much information. He started acting, I think, at a very young age in, in 1953. And he does have about 20 movies to his credit. But uh, this is his only kaiju film. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. Oh, man. Now, so- I figured there was going to be a lot of um, other w- films that I could find, you know, where people use a vegetable as a weapon <laughs> when doing some research. There's not, which is really shocking. Shocking. I know. Um, but, uh, I did find some really awesome photographs that a Japanese photographer did of vegetable weapons. And he had a bunch of women take pictures of guns that were made out of vegetables that he created. Um, and he did it as kind of a cheeky way to promote peace, um, kind of showing how, um foolish violence is and how foolish hostility is um by showing just the guns made of vegetables and women in kind of warlike poses with them um so there is stuff that is related and it, he was promoting peace unlike the enemies in this film yes <laughs> <laughs> you know that are supposedly promoting peace but they're supposedly. not enemies so is the peace. actor wearing a wig in this i think he i think he is the problem with doing any kind of research on this guy you know i don't read japanese uh but the problem with doing any kind of research on on this guy is that i'm relying on other cool things to tell me who a person is and i didn't recognize any of his films I couldn't find any information on any of his films, but I think he's wearing a wig. Yeah. <laughs> and we just saw the Godzilla like Tower it. there, which is something we'll talk about a little bit later because it is just so awesome. So yeah, very I love awesome. The look of it. We are about to meet a brand new player in the movie. Machiko's brother, Takashi Shima, here is played by actor Kunio Murai who was born September 20th, 1947 in Tianjin, China. He's got 27 film credits to his name, a bunch of TV shows and TV movies. But in in addition to this film, he also played Takaoda in 1973's Submersion of Japan. He played Secretary Henmi in Godzilla 1985. And he was in Godzilla Mothra King Ghidra Giant Monsters Out of all out attack as the SDF HQ secretary Masato Hinogaki. And he c- still continues to act today. <laughs> it's funny to see. <laughs> that was one hell of a faint. <laughs> I like how the tape is golden. An interesting little tidbit there. Yes. Does anybody want to do a uh, Godzilla monster theater with me here? <laughs> so this is where Godzilla and, and Angulus actually talk. Jeff, you're going to have to help me out here. So Godzilla says, hey, Angulus. And Angulus says, what do you want? Jeez, man, don't have to be so loud. <laughs> <I'm getting laughs> into it. And Godzilla says, something funny is going on. You better check. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and <then he's> like, <laughs> Hurry. And then that's the end of that scene. <laughs> 
Actually, I hope I got that right, that it's, that was when it was. <laughs> God, it's so weird when they do that, that sort of like record. I legitimately thought something was wrong with our disc <laughs> when that happened. <laughs> you should the talk first a, time I watched it. Talk a little bit about you know, the difference between the American version and oh, the here Japanese it is. version. I screwed up. I screwed up in the commentary. I should get fired. That's okay. Now everybody knows ahead of time yeah, what they're going to say. What they're, what they're talking about. <clears throat> uh, yeah, because in the Japanese version, you had like bubbles come up, come up like, kind of like in a comic book. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. So continuing the comic book theme, yes, they get speech bubbles with characters uh, explaining basically what we just said, I think. And later in the film, I, f- I was reading that. Uh, Godzilla did have dialogue to get Angulus to ram into Ghidra, but there's just nothing in either the American or the English dubs. They just didn't do another set of dialogue, but originally it looks like Godzilla should have had more dialogue in the cartoon, like the, the talk balloon from the comic book during the final battle later on. So, Yeah, I liked how that the trailer showed more of that stuff. It did. Not that I necessarily mm-hmm. enjoy the word balloons. I don't necessarily feel like my my monsters, my kaiju need to talk, yeah. even if it's uh, just a visual reference. But they have before. This is the third time the kaiju have talked in the Godzilla series. The other uh, being Minya in Godzilla's Revenge, obviously. But the kaiju talk to each other in Ghidra the Three-Headed Monster, That's as right. translated by... The uh, Mothra fairies. Oh, Godzilla, what language? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why didn't he have a potty mouth in this one if he's talking now? Oh, he's more kid-friendly. <laughs> 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 to be fair, we don't know kaiju language, so it could have been filthy. So That's true. It really, really could have been. probably was. Those We're going to keep it family-friendly, though. <laughs> 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 we'll subtitle that some other time. <laughs> No, I don't know. This guy seems sketchy to me. <laughs> I don't know if I'd trust him. I love it when he says something like, Peace my eye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this whole movie and the uh, the visuals that you get, their clothing, it's just so reminiscent of the 1960s and 70s. Yeah. It's... I, I imagine like kids today watching this and just being like, what is going on? <laughs> Who they should get fired. <laughs> it's good stuff though. I mean, this is the, this is a nostalgic film for me because when I got into Godzilla movies, this is one of the ones I found on VHS and I was very happy about it. You know, a lot of people slam this movie. Um, and I like. Stuart Galbraith and Steve Rifle, but they did not have some pleasant things to say about the film in their books. Yeah. And I have, I have a very high opinion of this film. And, you know, we'll talk a little bit about Teriyoshi Nakano uh, a little bit later and, and his uh, contributions to the Godzilla and Toho special effects department. This guy is very healthy. He eats a lot of fruits and vegetables. <laughs> yes. Yes. So when he says, like, somebody kick me hard and he, like, leans his head over, in the Japanese version, he's just basically saying, uh, I'm sorry, like, that he didn't think of this <laughs> earlier. And he's, like, doing the respectful bow. <laughs> I like how he's a hippie, but he still, like, holds the traditions of Japan very high. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, when when you said that this was uh, available on video when you were younger, it was released by New World around the time that they put out Godzilla 85. Mm. And uh, it actually had the benefit of having widescreen opening. They made the opening in uh, widescreen, even though the rest of the film was pan and scan. Hmm. So that was kind of a nice uh, thing to have, and it's that way on the Laserdisc as well. Interesting. And they had the international cut. They did not have the cinema shares dub. So this everything that they're doing here, where they're just running around from building to building, because the budgets were slashed so much. I just imagine them saying, "Okay, we're going to go out. We're going to shoot some stuff. We're not going to show any people that are ever going to get recognized, and we're just going to do it all on the cheap." Yeah, yeah we don't need any audio. Yeah, so. exactly. And I like how Angulus is also on his quest too through the ocean that angulus costume is the same one they used in destroy all monsters and you can really tell how beat up it got in the 1968 film because when you see him a little bit later check out the paint damage to his uh nose horn Mm -hmm. i guess you'd say (laughs) and yeah he just looks kind of saggy it doesn't help that they actually had him in the water, too. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't have the exact, you know, budget numbers for this movie, but, I mean, it's pretty well known among, you know, Godzilla fans that by this time in the series, the budgets were, you know, being slashed pretty dramatically, which is why you have, you know, the use of all the stock footage and the use of Afukabe's score mm-hmm. again that's you know that's some of the, that's what happens yeah i think i've read that Afukabe that toho basically wanted to use a new composer but they couldn't afford one mm-hmm. now this is something that i don't actually know if it's true or not but uh they just opted to reuse Afukabe's scores from other films because it was cheaper which which was you know i mean that was a common thing to do in especially in Hollywood in the 1950s mm-hmm. and 60s, for lower-budget films, they used, we used composers' scores in, from that studio. Mm. Well, if you think about the composers, you know, you basically had Akira Fukube and Masaru Sato sort of helming the entire Showa series up until this point. And then in 1969, Kunio Miyauchi did Godzilla's Revenge, and then they brought Ruchiro Manabe on for Godzilla vs. the Smog Monster. And then Ruchiro Manabe comes back in the next film for his score of Godzilla vs. Megalon. So it's interesting. To, I find it really interesting that they continue to use Ifukabe's work. And, I, you know, obviously when I was a younger Godzilla fan, none of that stuff ever even occurred to me. I think it probably wasn't until about 10 years ago that I realized that they used a different, uh, different scores from different films. (laughs) (laughs) You know, one of the things that is different about this film than uh, a lot of the other films we've covered and a lot of the other, you know, Showa era movies is that you don't get a standard uh, roster of actors that that uh, Jun Fukuda is pulling from. There's no Akira Kubo. There's no Akira Takarada. Akiko Wakabayashi's not in it. Mayahama's not in it. You know, there's just 
a lot of people that we've seen in a lot of different Godzilla films, and they're just nowhere. They're not in this film at all. This film has barely any people that were in the previous films. Yeah, I think that's another indication of just how low the budgets had been at this point, is uh, it had that effect as well on the cast. Yeah, I know at this point in uh, Japanese cinema, they had abolished or they were breaking down the old contract system. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, players that were, that were contracted to, to be in the films in the fifties and the sixties didn't have to do that anymore. So they moved on and actually the Japanese movie industry probably could not pay them what they wanted. That's a guest on my part. I'm not really saying that that's an actual thing. Well, it is an educated guess. We know that, uh, the industry as a whole was suffering and there just was less money for uh, film at the time because television in Japan was taking off and all the interest and money was going in that direction. So, Yeah, actually, I have some numbers here. Uh, these were said by Stuart Galbraith on the Godzilla vs. Megalon commentary, so I apologize if I am re-spouting off some of the stuff if you've already heard it. But in 1965, August of 1965, Toho had 203 actors under contract. And in June of 72, which is just after this film came out, uh, they only had 11 still under contract. Also, in 1960, Toho released 78 movies. In 1968, they released 47 movies, the same year Destroy All Monsters came out. And then next year, 1973, Toho would only be releasing 36 films. So in... Uh, in a matter of, you know, 12, 13 years, it, the, their output had been cut in half. Wow. <clears throat> that's, yeah, that's surprising. And if you notice the Toho Ezo logo that's, uh, that comes up at the very beginning of this film, that is because, uh, instead of just saying Toho, Toho Ezo was created because they were trying to cut costs. So during the 70s, Toho completely got restructured as a visual as a means to uh, stay afloat. And Nakano actually said that Toho took their special effects department core and built it into a company that would serve all productions, including TV, stage, motion pictures, etc. Hmm. So they essentially created a subsidiary that Toho would produce and distribute films under Toho Ezo. And that was created specifically to reduce the costs and weaken the influence of the labor unions that had been blamed by the management for driving up production costs. A lot of this footage is stock footage from War of the Gargantuas. Meh, not surprising. Yeah, Nakano uh, said something about, you know, uh, a lot of people complain about stock footage in these films, but they've been using stock footage for quite some time. And Nakano basically said that with the budget he had... They had to structure some films around footage that they mm-hmm. already had in the can. Yeah. You see the, the military scenes like that from, it's from Mysterians, War of the Gargantuas, Destroy All Monsters. You see them time and again. And I think one thing to think about in, when you think about how uh, poorly received this film is by some authors, uh, to kids who were younger, when I was a kid and I saw this movie, I didn't know this was from other movies. So, you kind of see the film in a better light. So if you can grant, if you can grant the film, the use of stock footage, I think that maybe you can see this in a more positive light. Mm. Yeah. I mean, stock footage, 
like like Brian is is talking about, you know, back in the day you didn't have you know DVDs, so so kids didn't know and audiences didn't know that it'd been many many years. Yeah, because if you don't that catch footage. if you didn't catch yeah. Ghidra the three headed monster in the theater when it came out, or in you know if it was re released, yeah, I mean, and you, you're and you went seven, to the theater and ago. saw Godzilla yeah. vs. Gigan, you wouldn't know that it's from the same you yeah. know, from a different movie. Yeah, I, actually, there is one particular part we'll talk about a little bit later where it's pretty obvious. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, look at look at uh, Angulus here. You can see they've like spray painted his his horns and his. Uh, his tusks like a really bright white or silver, yeah, and it just looks beat to hell. Also, at mm. this angle and under this light, you can see the holes in the neck where the actor looks out, and mm-hmm. the fasteners to keep the shell on the back of the suit. Mm. But having said that, Angulus still rules. So <laughs> let's not yeah. let's no, not get crazy, you know, folks. I actually um, I have a couple of Angulus figures in my collection, but they're all the 68 version. They're this version because mm-hmm. this is what I like. I don't really care for the one from 1955. I agree. I, I uh, Angulus is my uh, favorite non-Godzilla monster, and the 68 suit, I love it to death. That was an early toy of mine, so the 55 and 2004 versions, I'm not as interested in. This is the, the way he looks in my heart. So... <laughs> So, Angulus is played by Koetsu Omiya, and uh, you guys might be familiar with his other work. I'm just kidding. He did nothing. There was no... <laughs> he never played a kaiju again. Never played a kaiju again. So this was his first and last First assignment. and last. He was like, sure, I'll do it. And then afterwards, he's like, oh, hell no. I'm not doing that again. I almost died. <laughs> yeah. They shot fireworks at me for 20 <laughs> minutes straight. A lot of the times you see the Mazers, like we just saw, firing at Angulus. That is definitely from War of the Gargantuas. So. Yeah, actually, uh, I'm pretty sure we see Mazers a little bit later, too. But mm-hmm. the War of the Gargantuas uh, is the 66-type Mazer, as as uh, hardcore kaiju fans and mecha fans know. And the one that they made for this, which is a slightly different... They just took the existing Mazer tank and then added like a red dome over the base where the uh, the neck of the Mazer comes out. Right. That's called the 70 type. And that is your nerd moment for the next 15 minutes. And you talk more about that on your other podcast, MechaCast, the Kaiju Cast <laughs> Companion, where you just talk about the robots and the I honestly, <laughs> I honestly thought you were going to say, like, you talked about that during the War of the Gargantuas commentary, and I was going to be like, doe, but then you, you just turned it around. Nice work, man. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> this is very much this tone of comedy uh, from the time period, both in uh, Japan and internationally. You know, uh, when we were reviewing this movie earlier uh, a few weeks ago, we mentioned like the Pink Panther films got very popular after this. The James Bond series was going at the time and being more fr- fr- uh, family friendly with Roger Moore films. This is definitely a genre of films uh, that uh, time has forgotten but we can always go back and see them uh, like this. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the Pink Panther because I find some of his uh, slapsticky bits to be very Inspector Mm Clouseau-ish. He even, you know, when he uh, 
kind of like falls over, you know, over the globe. Globe is, yeah. is mm. I think, directly yes. lifted from Shot in the Dark. You know, Pink Panther film a few years before this one. The uh, slimy smile that Kubota gives here. <laughs> there for you. <laughs> I want to know what this means. The the, the hand, little man. hand chopping there. I wonder if that's just a thing. Like, yeah, you got it. You you'd know if you're Japanese. I think we really need to get some orange smocks. Like these guys <laughs> yeah. You think for the next like listener party, we should yes. uh, get some orange jumpsuits yeah. with the pink shirt, pink collar underneath, with the fancy yeah. tie. I gotta say, you know, we saw the goons uh, previously, and I love their outfit. They have their mm. orange neckerchiefs, the cravats. Oh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> those stuff. are just fantastic. Oh, so this actually seems like a really great time for me to talk about uh, one of the stars that we sort of glossed over earlier because uh, she's going to come in and do some serious ass kicking in a second. Uh, But I wanted to talk about Yuriko Hishimi. Uh, Now, if you're just a Godzilla fan, this is the only time you'll ever see her. But if you expand your, your horizons, you'll see her in another production. And in my opinion, Yuriko Hishimi, she's really awesome. She's about to walk in the door. Uh, she was <clears throat> born as, I think it's Chikako Hishimi in June 10th, 1947 in Tokyo. Uh, after, let's see, in her second year of high school, she won a stereo and electric sewing machine in a Miss Senorita Tokyo contest in 1965. And that led to a camera test with Toei Studios. She decided to pursue an acting career and was chosen by Toei for their new face program in 1966. And then in 1967, uh, the actress originally slated to play the Ultra Garrison member Anne Yuri from Ultra 7, Subarius, uh TV show. She canceled her contract in order to act in another film. So Yuriko Hoshimi was quickly chosen to be her replacement. But because... Subaraya had already had the costume made for this other smaller actress. The garrison uniform didn't quite fit, but as uh, luck would have it, that costume was, let's just say, very flattering <laughs> on Yuriko Hashimi, and it drew a lot of attention from the male fans of the show. Uh, she was under, she was still under contract with Toei uh, when she worked on Ultra Seven. Uh, but then she changed her name to Yuriko Hishimi using the hiragana and kanji instead of the Chinese characters, which I guess is kind of a standard thing in Japan. But she left Toei in 1972, and in addition to portraying Gengo's ass-kicking girlfriend, uh, she has starred in a number of Subaraya films and television series. She and her husband currently own and operate a restaurant in Tokyo. Or it's outside of Tokyo, actually. It's called Asian Taipei, and it's in Chofu, which is a city just on the western end of Tokyo's bustling metropolis. Metropolis? Metropolis? <laughs> metropolis. I like metropolis better. I like that, too. That's going to be uh, my, my restaurant when I open that up. <laughs> <laughs> so, the Godzilla Tower. Should we talk about the Godzilla Tower now? Yes, I think it's probably yes. a good time. Uh, the Godzilla Tower is awesome. And uh, there's not that much information about it, but there's a, uh, a guy in Toho named Nobuyuki Yasumaro, and he was coming up through the ranks in Toho in the late 60s. 
He's the guy that designed the Godzilla Tower. Uh, his first kaiju suit that he built was Gorosaurus from 1967's King Kong Escapes. Mm-hmm. But by the next film in this series, Godzilla vs. Megalon, all the original suit makers had left the studio. So Yasumaro was able to build his first, his first Godzilla suit, which was the 1973 one. Um, so here we are being introduced to our antagonist kaiju back again for another appearance as King Ghidra looking very stiff. And then the brand new monster of the movie, Gigan. And I think those effects are awesome too. I actually really love the the fact that they're coming to Earth in these crazy jewels. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I find candy. it. Yeah, it reminds me of Ultraman, the very first episode of Ultraman with uh, with Ultraman and in the red ball and yeah. Bemler in the mm-hmm. blue ball. Yeah, it is great. That's so the, the suit right there from mm-hmm. Son of Godzilla. Indeed it is. And also, this film is called Godzilla on Monster Island in America. They've left Monster Island and will not return to it. So, <laughs> I don't know why the film is called Godzilla on Monster Island. Probably because Godzilla off Monster Island sounds <laughs> not, not very good. Godzilla leaves Monster Island. Yes. Godzilla says, sayonara, Monster Island. <laughs> and that had, uh, Ghidra has red eyes. Mm-hmm. In yeah, the is, yeah, it, that he actually, I want to say that Ghidra did actually have red eyes a couple couple times. It's just very difficult to see them. Hmm. So that Godzilla tower is super awesome. Um, why don't I have one in my backyard? Right, I know. Well, you practically do because there's one very similar to it in California, which is pretty close to your. That backyard. is kind of my backyard. Yeah, a little That's bit. That's a lot closer to my backyard than Tokyo is. Yeah, there's well. <laughs> There's Dinny the dinosaur, which okay. is part of the Cabazon dinosaurs. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. Um, that's in Cabazon, California. Oh, Cabozon? Cabozon? I'm just kidding. Cab- I'm totally joking. A- <laughs> 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 um, but uh, th- it's a roadside attraction, and a lot of people have um, seen that there's. it's not just a big T-Rex-looking type or Godzilla-type dinosaur. Um, they've got several other ones, too, but... Um, but it, they also use that in Fallout New Vegas. There's a roadside attraction that's called Dinky the T-Rex. That's a landmark there that, um, was a tourist trap. Coincidence? Um, I think not. Exactly. Yeah. And that was, that's also reminiscent of the Godzilla slide in Japan. Uh, yes. I know, I know about the Godzilla slide. Yeah, so that that slide was originally the original one was built in 1958, um, and it was built in a park in Kanagawa, that was nearby a beach called Karana wait, Karanzaki, where Godzilla first emerged out of the ocean in the first film. Uh, yes, they have the footprint there, right? Yeah, they still <laughs> yeah. have the footprint there, um, and eventually that that particular Godzilla type tower or slide. Um, was fell into disrepair in the 70s and they built a new version in 1999 that you can currently visit in Kurihama Flower Park. That thing looks awesome. And I know I've said this on the podcast before, but when Lady Kyle and I went to Tokyo, that was on our to-do list. We were so close. We were gonna go. And uh, 
to make a long story short, we kind of just ran out of time. And because we didn't have a car, it was just like, it was no real reason for us to go. We had like one day left in Tokyo. So it's not exactly, it's not in Tokyo. It's very close. If you had a car, it would only take like 20 minutes to get there. But if you don't have a car, you're taking public transportation. It would have been like a multiple hour kind of trip to get down there. But it's a cool slide. I mean, you walk up through Godzilla's crotch and slide down his tail. Just like my dreams. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, we're on the same wavelength, man. <laughs> uh, the Godzilla Tower, there have not been very many representations of that in toy form. I want to say Marmot or M1 made one. That is wicked expensive, in my opinion, for being a brightly colored piece of plastic. And then a relatively new company in the scheme of things, Castco created a small ornament type. Of the tower. Of the tower, yeah. Like, how long ago was that produced? (sighs) Exactly. Like, we want to say within the last 10 years? Oh, yeah, within the last 10 years, for sure. They should create a Lego version of it. Oh, that'd be cool. You know, they should just... Uh, X Plus should just make one and release it. Oh my god. They should make a Gigan Godzilla Tower two pack and I will buy all of them. Yes. And a little plastic little mat like you used to get with little yeah. hot wheels <laughs> That's just like the world's That'd children's cool. fair. That would be pretty epic. <laughs> that would be rad. Now, a lot of this footage of their home planet is stock footage from Godzilla vs. Hydra. What? You mean with all the yeah, pollution? No, isn't That's that? That's really yeah. shocking. And if you look closely, I believe their planet had Coca-Cola, right? There's like Coke cans or Coke bottles in yeah. that trash. And they there. drive Japanese cars. Yeah, oh, oh, there's, there's a Coke sign there. Yeah. That mushroom cloud is from The Last War, mm-hmm. the Toho film about World War Three. Yeah. So this is, you know, every time I watched this when I was younger, I never really got that the aliens were talking about the fact that their world was so polluted that they ended up having to leave because the planet itself was dying. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't super clear to me either. It's just a quick little line. Like, Actually, you know, it's funny is I didn't notice it until I watched the subtitled version. <laughs> Something about reading it is oh, yeah, different yeah. than like being able to just kind of gloss over uh, verbiage being spattered out at me. That's actually true. Take take any movie, uh, even if it's in English or anything, and put the subtitles on and read the dialogue. Sometimes you'll catch things that you passively never paid attention to during paid attention to during movies. It's interesting to read the dialogue. So. So what what was the deal with that lightning? <laughs> but why why was there thunder and lightning? Just for the effect of being able to see the cockroaches. Exactly. So here I have a question here. Okay. They they are cockroach cockroach aliens, of yes. course. Now the henchmen that they've employed, are they just paid henchmen that are Japanese or are they cockroach people? Hired goons, you mean? Hired goons? I don't know. Hired roaches. I would imagine that they are also cockroach people. That is a lot of human uniforms to collect. That is. Now, they 
that scene, well, not that part, specific scene, but the fact that they are cockroach aliens was parodied at the end of Team America World Police. Hmm. Um, Kim Jong-il is revealed to be a cockroach alien. Spoiler alert. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's cool, though. I, if that's an actual homage that uh, Trey Parker and Matt Stone decided to put in. Well, where has it's, there been another film I don't know. with oh, cockroach aliens? I don't know. But that guy right there, the uh, director, is the last last dude I actually want to talk about. Uh, Gen Shimizu, the unnamed commander of the defense forces here. He might actually look familiar to kaiju fans. Uh, he was a character actor in over a hundred films, most notably for the kaiju genre. He was the minister of defense in Monster Zero and the director Hasegawa in the Terror of the Sweet Honey episode of Ultra Q. And I was like shocked to find out that he also played Methusa, the old Moses looking dude from Magmatashi, aka Space Giants. <laughs> Don't know if you guys have ever seen that, but. I used to watch that when I was a kid, and when yeah. I found out it was the same actor, I, I plotzed. Um, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> but you know, in addition to kaiju stuff, a small amount of kaiju stuff, he was in Kurosawa's Seven Samurai and Yojimbo and Stray Dog, just to name a few. Godzilla versus Gigan, unfortunately, was his last film because he died later this year, or you know, 1972, at the age of 65. Yeah, see, we're clearly not doing the music. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I should do is in the show notes to this, I should post the uh, the music. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, true. There you go. There you go, listeners. Yeah, so they only built a new Ghidra suit for this film, only for the flying scenes, correct? Uh, Yeah, what you're seeing, the, the little puppet that's flying around there, that is probably something new. It's difficult to tell when when something is uh, built brand new because in the when he's standing around and there's an actual guy in the suit that is the same suit that they used in Destroy All Monsters. Yeah, but I think the puppets here, you know, the little yeah. cuckoo clock guys going <laughs> around, those are those are obviously Geigen's brand new for this film, but I think Ghidra is also brand new too. They should also make a cuckoo clock with those monsters flying around in it and yes, sell that. around the Godzilla tower. And yes. like, so God, the Godzilla tower has that jewel in his mouth. That could be the clock. Well, I was, mm-hmm. I was going to say that at first, but then I think that the clock could actually be in its belly. Mm-hmm. And then the, the, uh, the jewel in the Godzilla tower mouth could actually just light up when it strikes the hour. Yes. Nice. And a destructive beam is fired. I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, yeah. So here we have our first real look at Gigan. You know, Gigan is totally one of my favorite uh, monsters. I really love the design. It was actually designed by the famous manga artist and yokai expert Shigeru Mizuki. Teriyoshi Nakano said that Gigan's green and gold color scheme was inspired by the 12 layered kimonos famously worn by women in the Japanese imperial court during the tale of Genji. That's awesome. I would say he's like my favorite Godzilla villain for sure with his sickle shaped hands and feet. I love his bright red eye visor and the golden scaled vest 
juxtapositioned by the green lizard-like skin. And I love, like, seriously, everything about Geigen's design. When I was reading somebody's book and they were uh, talking trash, I was just like, I don't think I ever want to read this book again. <laughs> I love his buzzsaw belly, man. I think that's, like, super yeah, cool. I love it. Although it does make it look hard to hug. Yes. Yeah. So, Don't you want to hug all the monsters? Yeah, yeah. Inside of the Geigen suit is veteran suit actor Kenpachiro Satsuma, who played Hedra the year before. Uh, he said that Nakano allowed him to bring his own life to Geigen. And so that wanton destruction and bad attitude is, is all Kenpachiro Satsuma right there. And apparently this suit got so damaged during the filming that they had to replace it for 1973's Godzilla vs. Megalon, which I find surprising. But yeah. uh, Gigan was also featured in episode 11 of Zone Fighter, where the monster is brought to Earth in a rocket missile. Oh, here's some uh, stock footage from Ghidra the Three-Headed Monster. Yeah, all the Ghidra stuff here is from... Yeah, Ghidra anytime he's flying. Monster. Anytime he's flying and moving, I should say. Anytime uh, he's got motion. Yeah, so Gigan was brought to Earth in a uh, rocket missile, fired at Godzilla. The missile explodes, and Gigan suddenly appears, and he's deployed some parachutes because apparently he's coming in too fast. <laughs> Zone Fighter is a wacky, wacky show. I will definitely agree with that statement. And also, uh, just in case anyone doesn't know, which I can't imagine you wouldn't if you're listening to this, but uh, when you mentioned Ken Patro Satsuma, I guess it's worth pointing out that he became the Godzilla suit actor. Yes, yes. I was going to talk a little bit oh, about okay. that later. But not too much. But, you know, we'll bring it up when we talk about Nakajima. I thought maybe you just assumed and uh, that everyone knew and moved forward, so... Uh, in this film, he was not going by the name Kenpachiro Satsuma. Did you I know did that? not know that. Yeah, his his uh, name is Kengo Nakayama. Oh. Or it was Kengo Nakayama. <laughs> Good stuff. That's trivia, man. Some of this, these tanks are from Rodan. Yeah. So Stock footage as far back as uh, no widescreen presentation. Yeah. 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 Full frame. It's so it's difficult for me to see Ghidra in his glory and the stock footage and then see him yeah. look like this. Yeah. And, you know, barely moving his heads. And, you know, in a majority of the film, he just kind of stands around. Yeah. This is some of the uh, stuff that Terry Nakano is famous for. Lots of fire. And it looks fantastic. I agree. I, I I do like all the Gigan destruction stuff. The the added city destruction bits here, I think they're pretty impressive, especially because the film had such a small budget and gets such a bad reputation. Well, I would imagine there's really only one set they built. Oh. Oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we're missing out on our our opportunity to do more of the Godzilla theater here, but yeah. It's kind of... We'll spare the people. Yeah. And I, I don't think I'm going to spare the people. I'm just going to say, Godzilla says, hey, Angulus, come on. There's trouble ahead. And Angulus says, okay. Such necessary there you go. dialogue. <laughs> yeah. What's going on? I need some help. 
maybe the monsters can talk. <laughs> Yeah, so it's, you know, seeing the stuff from the stock footage never bothered me when I was younger either. Mm -hmm. And so this the stock footage in this film, because I saw this film before a lot of other Godzilla movies, I just kind of accepted it. And it still doesn't really bother me today, except for seeing Ghidra look paltry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a fairly... I would say it's a very admirable job, uh, uh, considering the budget. They did try and make the stock footage match, too. I mm -hmm. mean, Nakano said that they tried to darken things up. You know, there's there are some shots later on in the film. I'm assuming if you're listening to the commentary, you've seen the movie. But some shots that they reuse from Destroy All Monsters, where Angulus is attacking Ghidra. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of, you know, it's this gratuitously long scene and it's very, very unmatched. I mean, it's definitely where they took some sort of setting and made it darker to make it look like yeah. they were shooting. It took it from a night scene, but it, yeah. it doesn't look like a night scene. It looks like a day scene. Since we're talking about Ghidra a little bit right now, do you want to mention about in the development for this film how one of the original ideas was to make a... Ghidra film. Sure, man. Go for uh, it. Another standalone Ghidra film, which was the desire what they wanted to do. And like one of the working titles that they had for um, the first screenplay was King Ghidra's Great Counterattack. Hmm. And um, yeah, due to, I'm not exactly sure exactly what the reasons were why they abandoned that idea. But um, I know one of the storylines also, and maybe you can back me up on this, Brian, was that they had basically six monsters in one of the one of the mm -hmm. uh, script early script ideas. Yeah, the uh, the Revenge of King Ghidra script would have featured Ghidra, Gigan, and uh, there's a few different names that are given for this monster, but Mog, M O G, or Mogu. Mm -hmm. And there is, by the way, there is the green gargantua going through the trees from where the gargantua is yeah. <laughs> a piece of stock footage that gets used a lot. So Yeah, we need to reuse the stock footage, so let's have Gigan drop to his knees and crawl <laughs> yeah. through a forest. Yeah. Hey, that, that's just creative, working their way yeah. through the... You could barely well, see the domes on these, uh, the major tanks the that they blow up here, the, the, what you know, constitutes the difference between a 66-type maser and a 70-type maser. <laughs> Uh, the uh, the King Gid Revenge of King Ghidorah would have had Ghidra, Gigan, and Mog, this new monster, to fight against Godzilla, Rodan, and Varan, or Varan. There's, yeah. I noticed that Kyle, you pronounce it Varan, so it's your show. We'll go with Varan. I pronounce it all sorts of ways, man. Sure, we'll go with Varan or Varan or Baran. I don't know. <laughs> And then I know who you're talking about. That's what that's what counts. The other potential uh, for this movie was going to be called Godzilla versus the Space Monsters, which would have seen Ghidra, Gigan, and Megalon against Godzilla, Angulus, and something called Majin Suru. Majin Suru. And yeah, yeah, I don't have much information uh, on that. I think that was originally going to be a machine. Yeah, I do actually have a lot of information on that particular one. There's there's a pretty full-blown write-up i believe on rodan's roost that website 
about that one. That one's the Godzilla vs. the Space Monsters. Is that what you said? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's like a full-blown like uh, summary of what that's supposed to be. Very cool. Uh, yeah, I liked I liked that story. I would have liked to see that maybe played out. That would be cool to like revamp for a comic book. Oh my gosh! Speaking of, I think now's probably a good time. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, let me open this up here. So, uh, fans of the Kaiju Cast know that we're tight with IDW Publishing, and uh, Chris Mowry is a listener in addition to being a Godzilla fan and the guy who writes Godzilla rulers of earth and the guy who pretty much spearheaded the, uh, getting Godzilla to IDW publishing. But, uh, back in the day he was coming up with an idea for, uh, a Godzilla legends comic. And this unfortunately got, canned but i asked him if it was cool and he said we could uh we could read it so this is his geigen story he is one of godzilla's most formidable foes an alien creature part monster part machine with an ever-changing arsenal that rivals his own killer instinct his name is geigen but where did this monster come from what exactly has it been doing out in the vastness of space This story helps to answer some of those questions by giving Geigen an origin story of sorts. The story is told through narrative captions and using brief moments of dialogue. We open with Geigen, who is encased in a block of what appears to be ice. The narrative narrative begins, and we learn that a long time ago, Geigen wasn't the creature we know today. He was much different, a massive creature, but not as fearsome as he now appears. Uh, <clears throat> we're on the planet Nair, a lush planet teeming with life. Its main inhabitants are a highly intellectual, or sorry, yeah, a highly intellectual race of aliens who use robotic technology to perform their everyday tasks, allowing them to live a life of peace and leisure. Geigen is a large chicken-like creature that looks very different than how he does now. The whole planet could resemble a farm of sorts. Suddenly, the planet is attacked by a group of giant monsters, Generic monsters, not the Toho cast. And what was once a beautiful world is quickly turned into a land of smoke and ash. Geigen is injured badly and unable to fight. He's got his eyes wounded. The aliens retreat underground and decide to modify Geigen into a living weapon to fight the invading monsters. After modifying Geigen's brain to be more of a cybernetic creation, they hook him up to the robotic facility's machines allowing him to interact with them on his own while they try and figure out another plan. Geigen heals up and sets out to track down the monsters on Nair. He finds the first one, but they do, and they do battle. During the scene, we're cutting back to Geigen in the present, still trapped in the ice, showing various parts of his body. First up are his hook arms. Flashing back to Nair, Geigen fights with the alien, but his arm is badly broken. Barely escaping, Geigen flees back to the factory and interacts with the robots who modify his body to where he has a signature sickle arms and hands. Geigen then tracks down the alien again, but this time kills him with ease. This now triggers something in Geigen. He's really in control of the factory and the modifications that can be made to him. The flashbacks continue and show how Geigen eliminates the alien monsters on the planet, but then turns on his own kind. As it turns out, Geigen was made to be far more intelligent than his alien creators had counted on. 
Now, with a taste for blood and seemingly unending supply of tactical upgrades, Gigan sets out to explore other worlds. So Gigan is sort of like a RoboCop. <laughs> yeah, sure. A bad RoboCop. Yeah. A corrupt RoboCop. <laughs> That's very cool. I think, I mean, I would have liked to see that. I Obviously, I love Gigan, so it'd be pretty cool if uh, if that came about. But uh, Toho nixed that idea? Is I that... believe Toho nixed it. I'm not exactly sure, so don't blame Toho just yet. I'm not blaming him. I'm just... I, ju- I, I think it's really cool, and big thanks to Chris Mallory for letting us uh, share that information. So uh, one of the things I haven't talked about yet is the guy playing Godzilla in this, in this movie. Uh, of course, it's Haruo Nakajima. The guy who played the original Godzilla and and every Godzilla up until this this movie, except for Son of Godzilla. Now, apparently, this was his last time in the Godzilla suit. Godzilla versus Gigan was his last outing as the king of the monsters, because after Eiji Tsuburaya died in uh, 1970, he just didn't have the heart to do it anymore. Kind of lost his motivation, I guess you could say. And I got to meet Nakajima earlier this year, and the guy is really, I mean, he's getting old, but he's just a super cool dude, and uh, it was a true honor to be able to meet that man. The 1968 Godzilla suit is what's actually being used in this film, so a, a suit from four years prior yeah, to give you guys the math on that, <laughs> this is the first time it's ever been done. It was a record-setting, not a good record, but it was a record-setting number of uses for that particular suit. Uh, <clears throat> the Shoshin-Geki Gochi suit is what this is called. So it was made for Destroy All Monsters, used sparingly in Godzilla's Revenge, utterly bashed in Godzilla vs. the Smog Monster, and then here, his battle against Gigan and Ghidra is the last time they used this as well. Uh, it's fitting because Haruo Nakajima's last performance. If you're wondering what the differences are between the suit used in this film and its first outing in Destroy All Monsters, I actually asked my friend and self-confessed 1972 suit-obsessed Samson West just what he thought about this suit and uh, what the differences were. And he says that there aren't many differences in the suit from 68 to 72, but the small changes were made to the face and head Throughout those years, a lot of people call this specific suit one of their favorites because it has, what he's read at least, a very proportionate body with a long neck and the rounded uh, torso. The head itself has a much more menacing look compared to the previous 67 suit. And aside from the slight alteration in his brows, there weren't any changes for Godzilla's revenge. But for Godzilla versus Hedra, They reshaped the mouth a bit, and the eyes themselves had a much more rounded appearance compared to the look they had in 1968. And the only real changes they made for Godzilla vs. Gigan were that the brows were raised up a bit towards the back of the head, and that the eyes have been returned to a much sharper and menacing look. And of course I'm saying this, and the Godzilla tower is on the screen. (laughs) (laughs) It's too bad they didn't turn the tower into a suit later on. (laughs) (laughs) 
It would be that'd be a good costume for G Fest. Right. Godzilla yeah. Tower. Godzilla Tower. <laughs> that would be yeah. fantastic. If you had like a Godzilla suit that maybe you wore like the previous year and you weren't happy with it. <laughs> Just put an elevator on it. There's always 2015, you guys. There's always 2015. Uh, so this film was part of the Toho Champion Matsuri. Um, and if listeners to the Kaiju cast are not familiar with this, and we talked about it earlier, Japanese cinema was just totally struggling to get by at this time. The golden age was clearly over. And, and you know, Toho and, and other studios as well, they needed to bring in their audiences, which were becoming younger and younger, especially for these films. The rival studio, we talked about them earlier, Toei, they created a series of manga festivals in which they would collect a number of animated shorts and showcase them uh, a few times a year during Japan's school breaks. And Toho noticed this, and they said, me too. <laughs> uh, they created the Champion Matsuri Festival in 1969, but instead of playing cartoons, Toho added a bunch of like new features to the event, debuting their brand new Godzilla film, Godzilla's Revenge, to the lineup, uh, to scores of children, along with another live-action film directed by Jun Fukuda called Kanto 55 Grand Outer Space Adventure, and a baseball cartoon called Star of Giants Go Huma. These theatrical programs continued for just over a decade while they were still being made. Uh, oh, and while they were still being made, Godzilla's new films were also done. So Godzilla vs. Hedra, Godzilla vs. Gigan, Godzilla vs. Megalon, Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla, Terror of Mechagodzilla, all opened during these events and the other festivals held during the year's breaks would feature other Toho Kaiju films. Most of them were like edited down as we talked about before we even started recording. Sometimes they were even edited by Ishiro Honda himself. Hmm. Um, and some of those movies that not some, all of the movies that played that were older than re-edited were King Kong versus Godzilla, Space Amoeba, Mothra versus Godzilla, Invasion of Astro Monster, Ghidra the Three-Headed Monster, Ebira, Horror of the Deep, Son of Godzilla, King Kong Escapes, Latitude Zero, Mothra, and even the Mysterians played in the Matsuri festivals. So I believe... Oh, maybe I'm wrong here. Gigan, I thought Gigan was about to use his eye laser, the little thing above his eye. Mm -hmm. There, there it, it goes. Is. It yep. flashes right yep. there, and uh, <clears throat> that that was supposed to be a laser that Gigan fires, which you can see on the poster and publicity materials. And he also uses it in video games. Yeah, destroy all monsters melee, and those have it right. Yeah, and the Godzilla NES game uh, for the Nintendo Entertainment System had it as well, but. It's never used in the film. Uh, uh, Nakano was interested, according to an interview he did in Cult Movies magazine, <clears throat> he was interested in the sixth sense of human beings at the time, and knew statues of Buddha had auras around their heads, and was very much into the idea of having kind of a ray come out of someone's head, and was going to, he was planning to do it with Ghidra, or Gigan rather, and, uh, decided against it because it was more of a positive belief in uh, in Buddhism and Gigan's an evil monster so he didn't want to associate 
something positive with Gigan. So the laser was dropped, but as you could see in that scene, it totally fired and nothing happened. He just took a selfie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, we also just saw a pretty long stock footage moment with that was directly pulled from Godzilla, or sorry, from Gidu the Three-Headed Monster. And that was the one, you know, this sort of the one thing that I was talking about the, in this film is when they have those long, clearly from other films, battles, stock footage, you know, it's just like, yeah. that is not the same suit. You know, I might, <laughs> I might be <laughs> an extreme nerd, but I think that even as a kid, I would have noticed that Godzilla's look changed that drastically. It's it's even more crazy when you think back to uh, earlier on, much earlier in the film, there's the scene of Godzilla interacting with Minya, and the son of Godzilla's suit is just so different from every other suit oh, yeah, in the series. Yeah. I don't know if I've ever mentioned this. The son of Godzilla suit is actually my least favorite Japanese Godzilla suit. Yeah. It's just, it looks too funky. It's awful. We just saw blood spray from Godzilla's shoulder. The yes. very first time. Yeah. yeah. And uh, not the last. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. And uh, Angulus uh, has blood spray from him later on. And uh, I think there's actually blood coming from him in Godzilla Raids again, but because it's black and white, it's a little mm. bit yeah. less clear whether it's water or blood or, or whatever it is. So, yeah, you know, Subaraya was. Uh, I think the reason that they didn't bleed before this film was because of Eiji Subaraya. Yeah, he was mm-hmm. opposed to showing any kind of blood. Yeah, I seem to remember like when somebody suggested it that he said, hey, man, come on, kids watch these movies. Yeah. yeah. Which I find it kind of odd now when you assume they were trying to go for a family-friendly audience, and yet, you know, they decided to introduce... Things are blood. very different in Japan than they are here. And in Japan, this kind of violence, the blood, the the wrestling style moves, you know, this was a very common thing for kids to be watching, this kind of fighting techniques, techniques, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's even the right word. But, you know, on TV, this is the kind of thing that kids are seeing. This is what Toho and anybody else who's creating children's programming is battling they're battling stuff like space giants ultraman uh specter man these shows that were essentially stealing their audience so to me that's why i mean that's what i would imagine but i do find it odd that you know right after not right after because i guess hedra was the movie right after but soon after agent Subarai's death godzilla actually bleeds yeah I should probably talk a little bit about uh, about the special effects director since I just was talking about Eiji Tsuburaya. Uh, Terry, Yo- Terry Yoshi Nakano is the special effects director for this film. He was born in Manchuria in 1935, uh, and Nakano came to Japan at the age of 10 after World War II. His father was a war prisoner, so Nakano's mother raised him. And as a young boy, he went to the movies four times a week and claims to have seen every film that was released in Japan back then. In school, he was uh, given a script at one point because I think one of his teachers knew that he loved movies. And it was the very first time that he was able to actually see and piece together how movies were made. 
And I think he pretty much decided then and there that's what he wanted to do. Became very interested in film, pursued a career in the business, and in 1959, he graduated from Japan University with a film degree and almost immediately started working at Toho. Uh, he was part of their Toho's uh, assistant director program, and one of his earliest jobs included the fantasy epic The Three Treasures in 1959, but it was really during the filming of the submarine I-57 Will Not Surrender film that Nakano was exposed to Eiji Tsuburaya's special effects. And from that moment on, he knew he wanted to work in the film, in that field. Tsuburaya also recognized Nakano's talent during the filming of Mothra vs. Godzilla in 1964 and began mentoring the young man, and the two developed a very strong working relationship. Tsuburaya recognized uh, Nakano's talent, like I said, and when he became too sick to work in 1969, Nakano worked directly with Sadamasa Arakawa and Ishiro Honda on Godzilla's Revenge and the special effects for that film. And shortly thereafter, Tsuburaya passed away. Arakawa left Toho and Nakano became the special effects director. But by the time Nakano was promoted, he was adrift in Toho's budget vacuum and had to make do with much less time and money to make the effects work. He would become known for his utilization of stock footage from prior films and huge fiery explosions. Nakano was in charge of Toho's special effects for a remainder for the remainder of the Showa era Godzilla series and included films like Submersion of Japan, War in Space, and finally Godzilla Returns in 1984, aka Godzilla 1985. He also worked as a special effects director on Kim Jong-il's Korean kaiju film Pulgasari. In 1987, Nakano directed his final effects crew with The Princess from the Moon, in which he was finally able to use his unmade film prop Nessie Hmm. as a dragon in that film. He's currently retired and living in Tokyo at the age of 78. More explosions, please. This music is from... uh the birth of the Japan Islands, which is uh, what the opening song is taken from as well. It uh, It is a 1970 film that Yoshimitsu Bano directed. No real cockroaches were harmed in the making of this film. I don't believe that. We can't say that. <laughs> <laughs> a couple of other little things I wanted to talk about real quick. King Ghidra was played by a, an actor named Kanta Ina. And uh, whereas some of these other guys, it's like, well, you know, we never heard from him again. He actually had a long history of acting. And um, for tokusatsu fans who are, who are listening, he was in the Iron King show and Silver Mask. As far as I can tell, he actually didn't play any more kaiju. This cast really uh, makes this movie great, in my opinion. Uh, they, th- all the characters, both the villains and the heroes, I I fall in love with them. They are. This is a really tremendously good. Uh, this is one of the funnest Godzilla movies, in my opinion. Yeah, I think all the characters are very likable, mm-hmm. and I think this film is unfairly maligned. By a lot of yeah, it's demonized by a lot of fans. A lot of fans, and a lot of I mean, a lot of historians too. 
And I, I just honestly, this is one of those films that for me, it, this is like a Godzilla film. Like when I, we've talked about the, the seventies period before, and I'm not a fan in general of the seventies movies. I sometimes go back and forth on which one's my favorite, but it's always between Godzilla versus Gigan and Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And right now, Godzilla versus Gigan happens to be winning. <laughs> it, is, it is great. I When I think back, when you hear people say that, oh, those Godzilla movies, they don't have any good human story element, especially we heard that a lot with mm-hmm. the most recent 2014 <laughs> yeah. Godzilla film. Um, because the human story element was pretty weak, um, in my opinion. Um, but uh, but this film's it's the complete opposite. I when I think back on it, I think of the human story more than I think of the Godzilla action. Mm-hmm. Um, now, don't get me wrong, the monster action in this is great too. Even though some of it is stock footage, it's it's a lot of fun. You know, Gigan's suit makes it so much fun with his buzzsaw belly. But um, and banana hands and. Banana hands. Oh, my girlfriend's not here to yell banana hands. She totally threatened to do that. She was like, I'm going to just run in and go, banana hands. (laughs) But yeah, but the humans are so much fun in this film. Even the alien characters, you know, they're still, they're creepy or weird, you know, the, and, uh, you know, I was kind of complaining that the voice actor the Hong Kong voice actor who dubs Gengo's character, it was it was too much of a clash for his humor. Mm-hmm. But the voice actors who dub the chairman and the director of Children's Land, like totally do a good job of yeah. being that creepy. <laughs> yeah, we're not really human. You know, we're wearing <laughs> your your skin as an as a yeah. uniform. You can totally see Godzilla oh, right here, and this like pieces of him are just coming right yeah. off of his arms. Thanks, yeah. Blu-ray. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that before Blu-ray, man. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> it's very. I mean, it, when he raises his arm up, you can see yeah. what they use as the base for the suit. That's yeah. sort of like this. Things look rough for Godzilla. Now, a moment ago, Gigan kind of looked like he was speaking to Ghidra. That's another example of something that uh, they were maybe going to continue that uh, the monsters talking to each mm. other thing. But that is not... There's no talk balloon in Japan for that moment, and we didn't get any dubbing for that in America either. So, Yeah, I wish I could uh, take a class on kaiju body language. <laughs> That'd be rad. Now, when I first saw this film, um, I was slightly confused as far as with the director and the chairman. Now, were they, when I first saw that, they revealed that, oh, it was the human bodies from those guys that died the previous year. And, you know, when they went to go meet them or something or talk to the people and they find out that they're dead, they died on some hiking trip or something. Um, I was not sure if it was... Oh, so those guys all along, their family didn't know that they were cockroach aliens. (laughs) Or was it that, oh, they actually did die and the cockroach aliens stole their human skin and wore it as, you know, their suits, you know, as aliens to fool the human characters. I was, I was not sure about quite, I wasn't clear on the actual story. (laughs) I don't think it's very clear at all. I mean, I like your expansion on what was just sort of like said though. Like 
what they were aliens all along and like are the family that they go to visit the pseudos like they go to their house and that's just a <laughs> yeah just they, a house full of cockroach aliens right they're all uh, yeah, under the so floorboards think- going like i really hope they don't come down to the basement <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Now here's coming up soon, I will say. I'm not sure if it's right now, but you get the stock footage of Angulus fighting against King Ghidra that's from Destroy All Monsters. And it's just kind of it's one of those unfortunate ones that really is not the same, you know. Yeah. Angulus looks very good. Now he looks very bad. King Ghidra is flying. And they now can't he's really, standing still. You know? They can't really dim the sky very much at all in these uh, Destroy All Monsters scenes to make it convincingly look like night either. Yeah, maybe we'll just wait for the special edition version to come out and do another commentary on it. Yeah. <laughs> Angulus, of course, returns in uh, Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla before returning again in Final Wars. But King Ghidra doesn't return until... 1991, yeah. yeah. Godzilla, that's not very nice. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he's got dried blood all over his face. He can do whatever he wants. This is revenge. It's not about niceness anymore. No. It's about (laughs) bloodlust. I totally wanted to uh, help out Andy for the Kaiju 101 podcast and record exactly how much time the monsters are on screen for this film because I, I think it's a lot, you know, I think this movie is very satisfying when it comes to monster action. Yeah, I agree. Cause this is a long battle. Yeah. Yeah. Makes up for all those other movies where Godzilla doesn't show up until like the last 20 minutes. Yeah. Oh, more, more scratching. And again, there was no talk balloon in Japan. There's no dubbing in America. It's odd that they almost gave up that concept halfway through the making this movie. Yeah. You know, I do have a Jap- a copy of the actual Japanese DVD. I should check that out. It's really... I, I think this battle is very satisfying. Mm-hmm. You know, in Godzilla vs. the Smog Monster, uh, because it's just Godzilla fighting against the Smog Monster... It's kind of rough, you know, there's, there are times when, you know, when we were watching it, I was the, the small child in me, the, who is suspending his disbelief was just kind of like, oh no, Godzilla's getting covered in sludge. And then the adult in me was like, oh man, that does not look very safe for Haru Nakajima. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But this film with its sort of multi-monster tag team wrestling style match, it seems much more balanced and much more, uh... Uh, entertaining to me. Mm-hmm. There was a great picture I saw of uh, behind-the-scenes stuff that the camera was at the back of the stage and it was kind of looking out towards us, a big group of children who were on the set of, I think, this movie. Uh, probably, obviously, this movie. And the four suits were all facing them, so the camera angle showed oh, yeah, yeah. from behind all those monsters and little kids looking at them in, like, a city setting. It was very, very cool. Yeah, Toho did that quite a bit, actually. They would invite kids to the set, uh, and they would usually have a 
But, you know, they wouldn't be in the middle of filming when they would do mm. it, but it would be a special event where they said, uh, hey, kids, come do this. I like the uh, the Ghidra fip. Fip? The Ghidra flip. So awesome he did it twice. <laughs> yeah, they would get the suits out and do a lot more promotional materials back then. That's uh, a very cool form of marketing that we don't have nowadays uh, with movies. You know, I... Uh, I'm a big Apes fan, and I look at some of the promotions they did for Planet of the Apes where people in costumes went out to toy stores and talked to kids, and they did that with the Godzilla stuff in Japan, and that's I think that's very cool. I wish that there was more stuff like you that today. You can really see that Godzilla's right hand has been completely replaced from, like, the forearm. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 That's from Smog Monster, yeah? Uh, I think that is, yeah, because he had his hand the skeleton was skeletal. Hand, yeah. Which I didn't know about until we did that commentary. Yeah, see, dropping knowledge is what it's all about, and having fun. <laughs> this is a real mess. The seventies were a real mess, and you know, <laughs> hey, now, come on. It's I'm I'm just glad that Godzilla came back in the eighties and nineties, and then again in the you know nineteen ninety nine two thousands. I mean, if as far as I'm concerned, this is one of those movies that I would never want to see remade because I don't think it would be remade well. Yeah, we were talking, we've talked about this a few times, you know, off the podcast kind of thing. Like, I kind of would like to see some of the some of the Godzilla films remade with today's quality special effects, but as period pieces, right? So not yeah. like something yeah, that's yeah. set in 2014, but uh, set. 19, set in 1954, the yeah. original Godzilla as a remake, uh, but not not Gigan. Gigan I, I is Gigan's really good. I really think if you had anything set in the 1970s or even the 1960s, that people would try to play it up for laughs, which I don't think would be right. You know? Yeah, yeah. I think you're. I think that is probably a really good uh, good observation there, Jeff, because. We were talking on a recent podcast about Michael Schleichinger and his uh, concept for a Godzilla sequel to Godzilla, Godzilla 2000, 2000, and it was very hokey, very cheesy. Mm-hmm. It seemed like it could be fun, but it also didn't seem like it was going to be like super respectful of the original material. So here we are, Godzilla and Angulus swimming off into the sunset. Or sunrise, maybe. I'm not exactly sure. It probably is the sunrise because they just fought all all the way during the night. Yeah. And you can see it's getting brighter. Yeah. (laughs) Sunrise, okay. The sun is rising. But when I said it, you couldn't see... Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) You guys have anything else you wanted to say about the film before we shut it down? Well, this is is this song Go-Go Godzilla? No, this one... Defeat Gigan? I I think this one's called Godzilla March. Yeah, so this is like the only original music made for this film. Yeah, definitely. And then there's one in the trailer, I think, that was Go Go Godzilla. Uh, Anyway, there's our our ending titles, the end with all the copyright information. I just wanted to say thank you to Jeff and Brian and Rachel for being here and being part of this commentary. And in addition to... Thanking the listeners for actually checking it out. I wanted to thank Chris Mowry for sending me his Geigen proposal. Samson West for his 1972 Godzilla suit breakdown. 
Brad Warner for his uh, information about Yuriko Hishimi and Stuart Galbraith and Steve Rifle for their help in gathering materials as well. That is going to do it, and I don't know what our next commentary is going to be, but we'll see you around. Jamata.